Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, everybody, before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports and live for the short-term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today. Weekly fantasy sports is the best of daily and season-long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Owner's Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to www.rotoballer.com backslash box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. back everybody to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip episode 74 we have completed our reviews of the previews of the positions we haven't done relief pitchers but we're, we're good there I think we'll, we'll hit those where needed in the future but uh, this week we're gonna do a fantasy mailbag you guys brought us a handful of questions we'll attack those help you out with your drafts coming up so keep those coming as it is peak draft season you can check me out on twitter at bd and and my co-host as always on twitter at bat flip crazy Toby how we doing man we're doing well, Bubba. We got our first, um, I guess I'm doing some of my first Fab League drafts now, which has been fun. We both are in TGFBI, which has been really good. Um, well, I mean, it's been good in the sense that, like, it's happening, and we love TGFBI, but yeah. I'm still in round, like, 22, I think, something like that, after after eight days of, of drafting or so. So going a little bit slowly, but um, it's been fun. It's been interesting. I think it's the worst team that I've drafted probably in – in a couple of years. Uh, so I'm feeling pretty bad about that. But outside of that, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. How are you feeling about the TGFBI squad? Yeah, I'm not happy about it. Like I, I told you when we texted earlier today, first the draft, we were moving pretty good. And then it like hit a wall about midday yesterday. I don't even know if I made a pick in like the last 24 hours. So yeah. it's a, uh, it's really hit a wall, but that's fine is what it is. But uh, ever since Fran Valdez went down, literally like the news came out an hour or two after I made my pick. I told the story on, on a different show that um, I was all excited to make the pick. I tweeted about making the pick. I watched his start the day before, watched him pitch after the injury. Everything seemed fine. Made the pick. 
went to a meeting, had a breakfast burrito at the meeting, felt good about life. Come back out to see all these alert, all these alerts on my phone, and I'm just like, sweet, just freaking sweet. And I'm still being, I'm still being optimistic. Think like a fracture, what four to six weeks, maybe, maybe two months. No, no, it's it's much worse than that. So yeah, fun times. So yeah, my my draft, I've kind of done a few things differently than I used to, and I'm not overly thrilled about it. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Well, what do you feel worse about the the season long injury to Framber Valdez or the fact that it ruined the high that you were on off of that breakfast burrito. Uh, the Framber Valdez, because where I yeah. live, where okay. I live, luckily, like I have all the authentic Mexican food. Like I had like street tacos tonight. So I pretty much can have whatever I want Mexican food wise. And so breakfast burritos, those are kind of the, that, that, that's, that's, that's the common meeting place. We don't really have bacon and eggs very often around here. So yeah. it's the, it's the norm in my neck of the woods. But yes, yes, yes. It's uh, it was a bummer to put to put it nicely. Yeah, for sure. But um, and then you have you have your uh, Towers draft and holds going. How's that going? Yeah, the Towers uh, draft and hold is going well. I think I'm executing fairly well on my plan. We'll see if the plan is a wise one or not. I'm going to do a full podcast on it once I'm a little bit deeper. It's a draft and hold, so we're it's 50 picks. I think we're in round 28 or something like that, or 26. Uh, something of that nature, but it's been good. You know, I think one of the things with OBP leagues is you always have to be cognizant of like, you know, I think our brains are, a lot of us are, they're wired for the average leagues. And so we have a sense of ADP and where guys should go based on that. And there can be huge fluctuations in value, especially like me, like I'm kind of, I'm not punting speed, but I'm not targeting it at all. So my goal is just not to get maybe a one, but um, you know, to uh, finish somewhere in the middle, lower end of the pack. Because I really think that it's difficult, especially if you go pocket aces like I went in mine, to be able to do that and to get speed in a reasonable way. There's just not a lot of guys who do OBP and speed for some reason um, together that don't go really high in drafts. So we'll see. I feel pretty good about it. I mean, my squad, my pitching, my the top, top end of my pitching is really strong. I mean, I have Giolito, Nola, Barrios, Granke as my top four. And then I feel like the lowest OBP I have of any guy in my lineup is probably like 325 to 330 um, with some guys that are well above that. So I'm, I'm hopeful, but we'll see. A lot will depend on whether I can, you know, avoid injuries and, um, you know, depth and all, all of that stuff that happens in the back end of these draft and holds. But it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a really good experience. It's a How cool tweet. You- Lots of cool tweak that for the draft and holds on this one, you get to do like OBP wise instead of average. So that's, that's a definitely a different tweak from all the ones you're doing before. Oh that's, yeah, that's pretty totally. Cool. Totally. And it's good practice for barf, which yes, is happening indeed. this Saturday this weekend. Yeah. This yep. Saturday, the only difference is um, quality barf starts. Is quality starts. Yeah. So yep. that'll be, and one catcher to util move, which as, as a catcher, as a catcher connoisseur, I am very, I am outraged about this change. To like, our doesn't that game. doesn't doesn't that like ruin JT's like value to you? No, I'm just kidding. We've talked know, about that before. It, I haven't run yeah. it through the auction calculator yet. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna skew oh, things. Oh, it's gonna a bit. be sad. I'm gonna be like, yeah. forget JT Realmuto. Who is this overrated guy that people actually <laughs> spend third round draft picks on? Yep, no doubt about it. But uh, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to to chat it up with the guys on Saturday, do that draft, and uh, put that one in the book because. Seems like every day it's a new draft scheme put on the calendar, so it's getting busy. Busy month of March oh, yeah. coming up here, so oh yeah, it'll be fun. Yeah. It'll be lots of fun. But um, 
We're here to help the uh, listeners with their drafts coming up, and we have some listener questions for everybody. And we'll kick it off with Dave Petro's yellow. Our buddy has a question. There are two players he likes that you have platoon concerns about, Jared Walsh and Austin Riley. Even though Walsh is a good sample, a uh, good small sample against lefties, I guess they have to play the ghost of Albert Pools against him. Uh, and then I, he's heard rumblings of Jake Lamb playing over Austin Riley. So we'll go one at a time here. What are your thoughts on Jared Walsh uh, playing time concerns? Does it bug you enough to probably pass him or move him down drafts for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think the thing with Walsh is it is a small sample that we're dealing with. And I think the cost is just, I mean, there's a variety of different factors that go into it, right? It's number one, there's the platoon concerns. And so that's one thing that you have to be cognizant of. And then you have to factor in, okay, what percentage chance is that 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 happens? And then you think about the fact that we're dealing with a small sample of success that kind of came out of nowhere. And obviously there are some things to really like the super low strikeout rate, although the walk rate isn't, isn't great, the tremendous power, but how many times have we seen that or something similar from a guy and then they just disappear, right? So, so you have small sample, you have platoon possibility as well. Um, and then you have draft cost, you know, like it's not one of these situations where like, um, I mean, Austin Riley's in a similar position. I don't know how concerned I am about, um, you know, Jake Lamb in that instance, maybe it ends up being an issue. But um, for both of them, it's kind of like, who are you going up against? With Riley, you're at third base and there's not that great alternatives later on in drafts. Like I like some of the guys like Brian Anderson and, um, you know, way after that, Evan Longoria, maybe a little bit, but there's not a lot of third baseman to go from. Whereas with Walsh, you know, first base is so deep. I mean, you're taking Walsh ahead of established guys like Yuli Gurriel, like Carlos Santana, other kind of phenoms like, you know, Nate, or maybe, maybe phenoms like Nate, uh, Nate uh, Lowe, you know, and, and so, and Joey Votto. And there's all these first basemen that, that the position is so deep, you know, you're kind of making, there's some opportunity cost there, I think, in taking a first baseman, especially one that has those concerns. With Riley, I think the Braves want to give him a shot and they want him to be able to do that. One of the things I was initially on Riley pretty good just because of the drop in the in the strikeout rate, you know, the contact rate surged. But then I think it was Todd Zola maybe or Jeff Zimmerman did an analysis where they were kind of looking at his exit velocity and where it was actually going. And it was actually a lot of his exit velocity increase was on ground balls. Um, and lower launch angle hits. His exit velocity, I think, on on line drives and fly balls actually decreased decreased last year. So there's a clear switch that he made, and I'm just not sure that we're going to get the same power and production that maybe we're anticipating. But again, he's young. Development curve isn't linear, so he could definitely have a breakout. He's in a good Rip Braves lineup, but he's also going to be hitting very late in that lineup because he's one of the few questionable bats in it. So that's a very long answer to the question of, I'm not really targeting either one of those guys at this point because of kind of the opportunity cost, the platoon, all of those different factors that go into it. Um, I'd rather take Riley in that spot than Walsh, just because we have a little bit more track record. We have a better lineup, you know, that type of stuff. So that's where I'm kind of at on it. How about you? That was a great breakdown of Jared Walsh. 
but uh, we'll get to Austin Riley too. But um, yeah, well, no, I, I, I talked about Austin Riley there, didn't I? I, know we, I? I asked to do Jared Walsh first. We'll do Austin Riley. Oh, next, but... dude, you know me. I just, <laughs> I just go yeah. crazy. Art, no, thank you for the shout out on the hat. My seven year old asked me to wear this today. I was going to go hatless today. But... Um. So yeah, uh, Toby basically hit on all of it right there. That um, I'm not worried about the playing time either because it's more the the draft price than anything for me. Uh, Jared Walsh, even the projections don't believe what we saw last year. There's going to be some definite regression in play. The power might be there with the OBP skills, the lack of swing and miss. Uh, you got to expect a little bit of a, a crutch back to reality on that one. And they are going to play full holes. They're going to play Otani more, it looks like. So it's all going to be kind of a give and take with Walsh there. And um, also, if he's not towards the top of the order, it loses even more value. And that's uh, something to keep an eye on as well. And then Austin Riley, yeah. Um, I like Austin Riley. I think he's really a fun fantasy asset. I don't like him at pick 220. So that that's a tough one as well. Um, yeah, I, I won't be having either one of these guys, but if you're desperate for a third baseman, I don't hate Austin Riley. I would not be worried about Jake Lamb at all. So back to your question, playing time-wise, not concerned at all. All righty, the next question at SMMS79 asks, in shallow leagues with daily changes, is either version of Otani, starting pitcher only, hitter only, worth a ticket? So it's a daily league change where you get Otani. So um, first off, starting pitcher only or hitter only, which of the two would you prefer? If it's a daily league, starting pitcher, hitter only, though. They're not the same position. All like There's two separate Otanis. Yeah. Um, I would probably go with – I'm kind of somebody who likes to go after the known – and so I would probably be interested in the hitter. Mm-hmm. I just think that with the pitcher, you could get nothing. You know, we know that you could get nothing or else he could struggle immensely. So I would go with the hitter because we know that when he plays and when he hits, he's really good. And so at least you get value there. And he's a very good hitter. I mean, if you if you um, extrapolate out, you know, and, and to 600 plate appearance because he's not getting close to that, you know, you, you have a, a top a top top bat because of the speed, because of the the power uh, and and the lineup that he's in. So I would go with the hitter if I had to choose. How about you? Yeah, 100% with you on that one. Uh, the pitcher, he's fun. Everyone's watching the fastball and everything, but show me do him doing that six innings plus five every five days because I haven't seen it in a while. I just haven't. Uh, I think if he has any little concern, they can just say, you know what, we're going to put on hold and hit again because he's hitting just fine. He even hit last year when he couldn't throw. And he's a beast when he does that. So give me the hitter all day long. Uh, I got, I know he's a great pitcher, but I got to see it. I really do. It's it's a tough one to at his at his price to trust. So, at breaking Ben underscore T Ben Tid asks if you're trying to do this is a good one. If you're trying to do pocket aces, who's the cutoff for where you abandon it and go starter to hitter instead of starter starter? So. Is this, you, uh, is this is this the Benjamin Tid who's in my in one of yes, my main events? Yes, this who's is asking the Benjamin me a question Tid. about Mr. When Tid I'm going to draft guys and when I'm when I'm not. Yeah. That's the that's the guy. Hmm. Yep. No, yeah. uh, I'm just kidding, Ben. Um, uh, you know, for me, I like. I think there's a sweet spot for the pocket aces this year because I think what's happening, and I'm seeing it in earlier draft boards, is that you know speed is getting pushed up obviously starting pitching is getting pushed up we all we all know that you know but people are really honing in on that speed and it's getting pushed up i think even more so offensively with with guys in drafts and that's what happened to me in my current tgfbi i don't like doing pocket aces when i draft uh, a 
you know, a, like a DeGrom or a Cole or maybe even a Bieber, you know, just because I think that the guys who get there, I think the last guy that I'm like super interested in getting it with pocket aces is probably Woodruff, you know, like if he's my second guy in pocket aces, but again, it's going to change depending on like what happens in, in spring. But I think it's really challenging to go pocket aces. What happened to me in TGFBI is I went pocket aces and I wasn't planning to do it. I had DeGrom and then Bueller fell. And so I took Bueller. So I kind of went off my initial plan. And I think what was problematic about that is that all the speed guys were gone, essentially. I mean, I could have pushed up some guys and I think, you know, thinking about it again, maybe I, maybe I would have, but, um, you know, I ended up going with Eloy and then you get back to four to five and all of the good speed average guys are gone. So you end up taking like a bias or a hero or something like that. And, and then you're just like, oh man, I don't have speed. And these guys don't help me that much in batting average. So now I'm, I'm really relying on a couple pieces to help me out later on in drafts. And if you miss those, which I happen to do, um, you kind of get a little, you're in a tough place. So I think there's kind of a sweet spot, even drafting at the fort at the, at the turn, I think is a little bit dangerous at this point, because I think all that speed is going to be gone at that point in time. And so you'll be left with two good hitters, but I think you'll have a hard time building out your speed if you do that. So I've got to think about it a little bit more, but um, I think Woodruff is kind of my cutoff a little bit. Woodruff Castillo maybe is my, is kind of my cutoff for where I would probably, you know, not be interested in the starting pitchers that are going after that. I just haven't been able to embrace Scherzer or Gallen or any of those guys. Yeah. Woodruff's a good cutoff point at, um, it feels like you might not go pitcher, pitcher, but you might go pitcher, batter, pitcher, or something like that. And it still works out because you can Woodruff late round two, early round three, depending on your draft. You can pull that one off. Um, my last uh, bench with Bubba with John Fish, we talked about a lot of the different scenarios, the KDS, and where what you can get in kind of planning out your first few picks. And mm-hmm. a lot of it, we, we ended up talking about early pitching and stuff because he's just like you and me, that and especially you, and then you rubbed off on me, and then he does the same thing as um, pitching heavy early because the way it dries up. So it's basically, where do you want to start? These are the pictures you end up with. How do you feel about it type stuff? And if you pencil that kind of stuff out, it'll show you exactly where your pocket aces end pretty quickly. So like that was, that was a great pod, by the way. I enjoyed that a lot. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And I was, let me get to, uh, I was going to get to one of the listener questions in the chat. We'll get to that in a minute, but it kind of follows up on that. So let me fast forward to um, MLB moving averages. Um, John L big John stud asks, I've always been a wheel player, guys. I've noticed now more than ever I'm not getting those late spots via KDS. Uh, do you think it's anecdotal, which I get, or do you think there's a more general move away from the front toward the back end? Now, the reason I want to jump to this one now is it kind of goes in line with this pitching strategy where I think I'm finding it better to be in the back end if you want two pretty solid starting pitchers. It feels like if you're in the front end, you kind of either have to take one of the big dogs or get a bat and then hope you get two more pitchers later in rounds two and three. What are you seeing when you're looking at KDS? And this will kind of go with, I think, the question for John here. Yeah, I think it's a really, really tough question. I've had a hard time answering it because, I mean, I know what my KDS preference is, and that's like I want to draft early on in the draft because I want one of – I want DeGrom or Cole, generally speaking. Um, And so that has generally been my approach, but I struggle a lot with it because it's like you want those two guys um, and you want to be aggressive. So I want some of those top picks at the same time. It's like if you if that's who you want and let's say you get four, five, six, and then chances are they might not be there for you. Right. 
And then you're, you could grab a hitter, and I think you could get a decent pitcher uh, in the second round, but then you're waiting and you're hoping that one of those guys that you like falls, right? That a Woodruff or a Castillo makes it to you. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, you could go with Bieber. And, and Bieber, I would have no problem with him at all. I'm a little just leery right now because of COVID. I want to see him throw a little bit. I want to get some velocity readings. Just make sure everything looks good. Just because we've seen, you know, we've seen the Moncadas and the Meadows and the guys who never really recovered from that or it took them a longer time. And, you know, we know that there's long-term, there can be long-term impact. And so I just want to make sure that I see kind of that happening and then I'll maybe be a little bit more comfortable being in that space. So for me, it's kind of like I want to be early or I want to be late, but I don't want to be at the end of that, of that. And I think what I'm noticing to for, for John's question is, I think initially when we were drafting, people liked the wheel, you know, the back end. Yep. And I think people are changing that to the middle of the draft. Yep. I think a lot of people are wanting to be in the middle somewhere. And I think it's just a question of how comfortable you are. You know, you, you have the middle, you have your like seven through 10 or seven through 11 or six through 11. It's just a question of how much outside of that middle you feel comfortable with, but people are going to end up with those. And, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, maybe people won't put the top, you know, KDS. I think you have a more, better chance this year than any year that I can think of, of getting a, a higher end pick, because I think it, you know, there's just, yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of my thoughts. I think it's just, it's so hard and every year is the same, right? You can't really say like, I want this KDS because I know this player and this player is going to get there. You want to be aggressive. You don't want to have to be passive, but at the same time, you're going to end up waiting at some point to figure out like who you're going to get. So, Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I used to be a dead set. I want the back end wheel type stuff like 10 or 12 to 15 area. I like, uh, I've talked about that many times. It forces my hand. It makes me get my guys and a lot of different scenarios there. But as the draft season has gone on, I've been more inclined to like six through eight because, and I know it's been talked about a lot, there's like seven to eight really good players. The three pitchers, five bats that like, if you walk out with one of those, it's great. And then you get your second pick a lot sooner type idea. And so I've been kind of gravitating that way. Obviously, that limits my chances of getting Cole or to Grom most likely. But then again, we've been watching a lot of drafts right now and somehow they're falling in certain drafts. I guess it depends on the room you're in. Main event is not happening. So yes. we know we know we know that for sure. So the leagues Toby's worried about that is not gonna happen. But I've been quite surprised in TGFBI watching some of the guys fall where they fell. So you never know. Weird things happen. Don't count on that. So if you want the big dogs like Toby does, you have to put early picks in. That's just the way it goes. But it feels like I think the majority of the chatter is is focused on the middle, like you said, or going to the back end, and you can lock in two starters usually back there that you like. Uh, if you are a person like yourself and that, that goes Woodruff and up, if you're in the back end, you can guarantee usually two guys. And that's kind of how some people like to, to wrap it up and move on. So that's what I see going on, at least these days. All right, back in the chat here, Simon asks, I just draft Crone instead. Why is Crone still going late? Uh, I just – we. We'll, we'll hit on that a little more later, but I just want to let him know that um, his ADP as the last two weeks in online drafts is 195, as high as 171. When we did Battle of the Pods like a month ago, he was 328, so he's climbing up pretty good there. And then if you want a reference for TGFBI, his ADP is 203, but he's been as high as 155. So depending where you're at, he's moving up quite a bit. So don't don't think that's gone at that quite there. And then he has another question up on the screen. 
Where do you guys see Edwin and Franco ending up? Where do you do you have any guesses, Toby? I don't really have any guesses. I was thinking maybe he would end up in like Oakland, you know, initially before they signed Moreland, but they went with Moreland. And so, you know, they, maybe they still have a spot for him there. I'm not sure what's going on with that. Like whether it's just that there's no interest or the demands right now contract wise are, are not high enough, but he looked pretty toast. Yes. Uh, last year, again, small sample size. He looked decent the year before that, or he was fine the year before that. So I, I'm not really sure where he ends up. And I just don't know how much of a market there is for, for, um, for that type of player. Uh, Michael Franco. I mean, honestly, I don't really, you know, um, I don't really, I don't really care too much where he ends up just because I don't think he's rosterable really. I don't think he's very good. So you're so, not a believer. You're not a Michael believer. Wow. I'm not. I should probably look that at hurts like, the soul. That hurts the it? soul. Oh man. Yeah. The last thing I want to do is hurt your soul. No, nah, I, I like, I, I Cubby Knowles uh, saying, don't believe the Baltimore smoke. That was the rumor today for Michael. Yesterday it was the Mets. Uh, it's going to be a lot of places these days. I'm just surprised he's not even on the, a bench somewhere, uh, let alone hitting, because he's been able to hit for the most part. Average has not always been great, but he has power. He, he showed a lot of it last year in Kansas City. Uh, the Edwin thing, and maybe it's for Franco as well, no NLDH is taking half the jobs away from these guys, and that's just going to kill them. So I think that's part of it as well. Like, Why would a team pay Edwin X amount of you know veteran money when they can have a youngster sit on the bench? Stuff like that. So. Yeah, I mean, he's there. he's like he's super replacement level. Yes, pretty much. So, all right, B. A. Burgess in the chat. He asks, "Dynasty contention window opening. Who do you draft? DJ Lemayhu, Grisham, Starling Marte." You don't know this. He didn't leave you any of the stuff you usually ask for, yeah. Toby. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I respond pretty similarly to all the keeper and dynasty questions I get, which is like. I, I, you will never be able to provide me with sufficient context to be able to answer that. Like you could say in a vacuum, which player do you like more? But I don't know what I don't know what the settings are. I don't. Is it five by five? Is it OBP? What is it? Who's on your team? Like what are your needs? Like essentially, what I would do, I would look back at the standings over the last couple of years or the last you know 2019 last full season, see where teams ended up, where you think they're going to be, what type of where do you need to finish in all of those different categories to, to win and then figure out which one of those players helps you there? Because these are very different profiles you're providing. Like, you know, DJ LeMahieu, batting average galore, runs galore, decent home runs, decent RBI, not a lot of speed. In OBP, he loses a little bit of value, but the average is sufficient to buoy that OBP so that it's, it's still really strong. Grisham, total OBP league play, right? I mean, he can be really good in average, but you're not going to bank on that. Yes, he's got speed, so he's kind of more power speed. In that particular situation, I do worry about the platooning of him um, against lefties or him getting dropped in the lineup against lefties. But, you know, um, oh, well. And then Starling Marte is speed, batting average, power, five-category contributor. I mean, of all those players, the one I like the most is Marte. But again, it's got to be the player. If it's your contention window, you got to know, you know, what you need to be successful, what your team needs to be in con- to, to contend and to win, and which one of those players in their profiles best fits what you need. 
Um, and it's also like they don't even play the same position. So I don't know how much outfield depth you have. Um, I, I don't know if you need a second baseman or a third baseman or a third ba first baseman. So DJ LeMay, who not only improves your team overall, but also addresses a, a positional need. You know, those are just the kind of things that I would I would think through it. And hopefully that's helpful for kind of broader folks instead of just answering like a specific question about one person's dynasty league. Those are some of the things that go through my mind when I'm thinking about it. Yeah, there's always a lot that goes through Toby's mind, but uh, he's very, very accurate there on that on that thought because it's true. It's no, it's it's true because you have OBP. What what is it? Um, if I just have to pick one guy, I'd probably go Starling Marte, but he might not be relevant to you. So that's it, it's tough. I, I, Toby said he likes Marte. I'm a Marte believer. I, I still get blown away that he falls in drafts. I, I don't understand the hate for Starling Marte. Um, Cody Mack asked a question, and it's a little different than the norm, but he said you didn't have to answer on the pod, but I'm going to ask oh, you anyways. Oh, God. Um, Cody, says, you're brutal. You're just – You're going six, after my soul. <laughs> Liverpool's six-game losing streak at home would equate to a 26-game home losing streak at MLB. Is this one of the worst losing streaks in pro sports history? Also, is there a correlation between this, this streak and Toby's increased s'mores consumption? What portions are you most comfortable assuming? Okay, we'll go there. So we'll stick to the, the losing streak, and does this relate to your s'mores? Yeah. So um, for those of you who don't who don't know, I mean, if you listen to the pod, I, Cody asked me frequent Premier League questions. I'm a big Liverpool fan. Liverpool is actually my favorite team in all sports. In all of the sports that I follow, they're really the only team that I'm like. I've never gotten involved in EPL fantasy. Um, I've always just stuck to I follow Liverpool and I follow. I watch every single game even when they're on six game losing streaks and the game's on at 6 a.m. against Fulham, who they promptly lose to. I have never seen a team have such uh, a, a collection of injuries, poor finishing, um, great finishing against them and great, you know, um, goalkeeping, great saves from no-name goalkeepers. Just every single thing that you can imagine has just like, and just a total like lack of creativity and, and, and good football from that team. And it's just been brutal to watch and just go from literally in first place title contenders. And now we're probably not going to get top four unless we can really turn it around. So it's been a real struggle, Cody. I hope it gives you great pleasure that the one team that I still follow in all of sports and I care passionately about is devastating <laughs> my soul right now. And to be honest with you, that is why I'm increasing my s'more consumption. No, I'm increasing my s'more consumption because we got a fire pit. We got a like a portable um, fire pit, which has been really nice. And so, you know, on the weekend nights, you know, we'll go out there, you know, before the kids go to bed, we'll roast some marshmallows over a propane fire, which doesn't have quite the same marshmallow <laughs> roasting calorie. It's kind of funny because it's like normally, you know, you find if you, if you know s'mores, if you know marshmallow roasting, you go after the embers, right? Yes. You don't go after the flame, you go after the embers. There ain't no embers in a propane Dude, fire, right? Flight, so you're like, you're really like, let me catch this on fire really gently. Yeah, blow it you out know? real like, quick. Let me, let me catch this on fire just a little bit so that it stays stays golden, so that it stays brown. So that's kind of what we're doing, but it's been great. And, and the Girl Scout cookies, let me tell you something. The S'mores Girl Scout cookies are so underrated. Like I've gone my whole life living a lie. I've gone my whole life believing like, Thin mints are the best. And then the Tagalongs or the peanut butter ones mm -hmm. are the best. And then the caramel delights are the best. These are all the best. My whole life is a lie because the best 
Girl Scout cookie is the s'more cookies. It's wow. not that they taste like s'mores. There's just something delicious. Like when you bite into them, there's graham cracker in the middle, but it's not regular graham cracker. This is like Girl Scout cookie caliber graham cracker. <laughs> you bite into it and it's chocolate on the outside, but there's like a ribbon of like white frosting and you're not sure what it is, but whatever it is, add something special. Tasty so goodness. I made a s'more that was, that was two s'mores Girl Scout cookies on the outside, marshmallow on the inside with a Reese's peanut butter cup in the middle. Outstanding. And it was fantastic. It was absolutely superb. So Cody, yes, that got me through the weekend after losing to a team that's going to get relegated. It's uh, it's entertaining to me watching your s'mores uh, tweets because I don't remember the last time I actually brought a box of Girl Scout cookies home. It's been years. So like, I, I didn't even know s'mores existed. This caramel one, I don't know what you're talking about. Thin mints, tagalongs, the peanut butter, those are my go-to. So I guess I'm going to have to figure this out one way or another and reinvent the wheel here. But um, I think we talked about it before, and we don't need to go down a massive rabbit hole, but you did a lot of research on your s'mores. You decided, yeah, peanut, but you, you decided peanut butter cup was the best center, right? No, 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 no. I actually the best s'more I've ever had. I have a, I have a, um, I have a thread. Yeah, of, I remember that uh, yeah. when I went camping. I had like I did eight different versions of s'more, and the best one, and it hurts my soul to say this as well because it's not like a tradition. You know, I'm a man. I'm kind of I'm a little like you know a person of like tradition and like you know like things like that. So. Um, and I, I don't mean that in a, um, that, that I hope that doesn't come off the summary. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> simple things. I like simple things. Yes. You know, I like simple things. I appreciate simple things. He likes that's a better lakes, way to, not ocean. that's a better like way to frame it. Lake, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like oceans, not lakes. Yeah, I mean, lakes exactly. freak me out. Like how long has that water just been standing there? Exactly. Dirt and like little a- animals yeah. and mosquitoes. Yeah. And for sure. Or rivers. I mean, rivers are moving yeah. bodies of water. Uh, beautiful, actually, the way they meander and they carve into valleys and stuff. We could get into a, a longer thing about that. But um, with the s'mores, <laughs> the best one I had was a mint Kit Kat, actually. It was it was graham cracker, mint Kit Kat with marshmallow. And it was just like the Kit Kat. You can imagine the texture is really good. Like just it's because it's like firm, but um, crispy. And then, you know, the the s'more is is, um, you know, just like soft and chewy. The outside is firm because it's the graham cracker. And then there's the mint kick to it, which just really um, is robust, you know, in that in that framework, if you okay. will. And so it was uh, that was my favorite one. I think the Reese's peanut butter cup. I, I was really interested. Um, somebody mentioned the Reese's bar as something I should try because it has a little less peanut butter because I think the peanut butter is a little bit overwhelming. Yeah. You got it. You got it. So I, 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 well, cause I'm a big peanut butter fan. Like, like ice cream is going to be the peanut butter. Like I love oh, it, but you, but it, it's like, you almost want the small cups, not the big cups. Cause the overwhelming part, but um, mm, I, that's I, a good, I, that's a, I like that shout. I like the little cup. Yeah. The I little, like the little, like those little peanut butter cup ones. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. A gold foil. I have another question right now. Now that I think about it with Easter around the corner, have you thought about getting the Peeps different flavors? You have different flavored marshmallows now. Oh, 
man, that's a really good question. We're going to have to do that. Because there's a ton of new pea flavors I saw at the store. I got a ton of them. Is it kind of morbid, though, that you like, you have like this little bunny, you know, and you're like, oh, I'm going to stick you like. Just take the heads off before the kids see it. Just take the heads off before the kids see it. I'm a a pescatarian, so I don't even need need meat to begin with. So I don't know how I feel about this whole like rabbit looking marshmallow on a stick that I'm that I'm sticking in the flame and only catching a little bit on fire, you know? So, no, that's a really good idea. And uh, I'm trying to think like, you know, my favorite uh, Easter candy of all time is Robin's eggs. You know, Those the malted, the malted, yeah, like the malted eggs. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoppers, but more beautiful, you know, because yes. it's like candy shell with the dots and like a little crispy crunch on the outside. Uh, yeah, Pastels. I'm with you. No, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm a Cadbury guy. I love the Cadbury. Yeah, ooh. But, Cadbury but, could actually be a very I was thinking about interesting. That, it messy. Get messy, but it'd be interesting. <laughs> it, could get, it could get It's sloppy. like having, it's like it having an get. egg on a hamburger. <laughs> it's going to get messy. I, I am a simple man, Bubba, but I've never let that get that, that stop me. Yeah. You know, but, from... but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I know we keep going on a new rabbit hole each time. I mean, but this is, this I like, is, I like, this is the I like, best yeah. more discussion on a podcast yeah. of the year i, I like the, the the regular old school cadberries but now like you mentioned the robin eggs they have those new hard shell like small cadberries without the creamy filling but it's good you gotta check them out it's in the purple bag they're like oh, like the little little ones yeah and they're, they're like the circle the of chocolate like a, super yes. rich and yes. they're kind of uh mm-hmm. conical in yes. a little bit yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Totally. i'm a big fan of those yeah totally we actually uh, we make these cookies uh these like nest cookies for easter where it's like there's three of those in the middle, and I can't remember what it's like. Coconut and something else is like the nest, like the shape, uh, like and there. pretzels or something, like peanut butter pretzels or something like that. Yeah, so it's a good, it's a good thing. I mean, we should start a dessert podcast, Bubba. Let's be hey, honest with I you. Can I talk, mean, uh, food. I can talk all day. So you know, don't, I mean, don't, we, don't we did a uh, yeah. I mean, we finished top sixteen in the baseball pods, but if we did a s'more <laughs> podcast, I bet we could take that down. <laughs> we take I it bet down we could sure. take that down. Yeah, yeah. we would have them yeah. life goals. But, but uh, Cody had another question. Yeah. Which positions are you most comfortable assuming risk for this season? Like basically, waiting on. The, yeah, the way I see it, you can wait on or slash the replacement value will be okay later on. Yeah, I think first base for me is the one that I find myself being um, feeling the most comfortable waiting on. I just think that there's a lot of late round options, even in my TGFBI, and I don't love that I had to do this. So I drafted uh, Keston Hura, and my plan is after 10 games, hopefully at first base, if he doesn't strike out too much and get demoted by that point in time. And in the season, he'll have first base eligibility and I can move him over to first. And I have like Starling Castro and I think another second baseman who's good that I can kind of move into that position. But, you know, I, I drafted my first first baseman at pick 330 and it was Nate Lowe. You know, and I feel fine about that. I think he's going to play every day. You know, he's got an early season schedule that's decent. That's pretty nice. Nothing too scary. So at least for the first week and a half, I can kind of have him in there and see how things roll, see what his role is. Um, and I don't feel bad about that one. And and other guys were available. Like I was going to pick Votto and he went like three picks ahead of me. Uh, Jesus Aguilar was still there. Uh, Renato Nunez, if he makes the Tigers, was still there. So there's there's plenty of options, I think, late. So first base for sure. Yeah, first base is a very, very good one, especially on the waiver wire later on. I like the replacement value there. Outfield, you can always say that on because outfield is super deep, but it just feels like I tell myself I'm going to wait on outfield every time, and I take like four outfielders early because <laughs> just the five category guys are so good. It's hard to just sit there and pass them and pass them and pass them for like a third baseman or a second. Like 
I got this like stud outfielder. I got Jose Altuve. Like Altuve's fun and all, and he could help you out in like the ninth round. But this outfielder's got strong potential 2020 upside. It's like, what am I doing here? So, no, it's it's hard to pass it up. To honestly, yeah. yeah. So that's been my yeah. problem. Like first think- base. And I think it's it, it it's it is becoming increasingly more difficult too because as speed gets pushed up, mm-hmm. the guys that really have speed who are left over are the outfielders. Yep. So what you're seeing is like, I mean, partially because he may lead off, but I think Robles is kind of moving up draft boards pretty quickly here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to see. I mean, Tavares actually, I'm I've got super exposure to Laoti, and I am a little bit nervous because <laughs> spring training doesn't matter. But he's already he's hitting 100 and he's already hitting nine mm, in the yeah. lineup. And Woodruff has been like, this is the time to like, you know, put up Figure or shut up essentially. And now he's batting nine because he's not doing it. He struck out three times in one game and looked awful at the plate. So I'm kind of like, uh, that if this yeah, doesn't work out. Good. I'm going to be trying to win with a lot of not a lot of speed. So uh, you you tried. The thing is, you always try to cut corners. And I tried to do that in TGFBI. You try to cut corners. You try to get away from, all right, you know, I was like, I was like, you don't, you know, let, let's just get a good player, a good hitter early in drafts. Don't worry as much about the speed and the batting average. I mean, you have to have that. But to be a good player in fantasy, you have to have at least one of those, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, is, is it's just so risky not to address speed early on. Yep. It's just, and to continue to address it over and over and over in the draft because, you know, you need 123 stolen bases for 80th percentile in the main event in 2019. And speed's probably going to be even harder to get now than, than previously, potentially. And so it's just, uh, yeah, it's a real it's a real challenge. So, And then real quick, before we go to the next one, uh, question I wanted to mention, you mentioned uh, th- deep at first base. And I was doing some deep, uh, just digging in on some late, late targets for something I'm working on. And I looked into Joey Votto because you mentioned him. It's like, he's always... It's not sexy. You're just waiting for him to retire. It's like he had a rough go a couple years ago, but you know, last year we saw some of the old Joey back, and he's at 339. And like we always say, OBP is great. Yeah, he's like 350 and above year after year. He's over 400 for four straight years. All the projections have him like over 360, which is outstanding. Epic 339. He's all every projection site has him at least 20 homers, close to 80 RBIs. Um, you know, our 80 runs, 75 plus RBIs, like. These numbers of pick 339, if he even comes close, say he hits 15 homers, it gets you a 340 OBP. And the numbers are so close at that point in the draft, it's it's pretty wild he's actually sitting down there. I, I, it took me a second to look at it going, hmm. Like, <laughs> I, I'm still I'm still cautious because of his age. I'm, like, waiting for the shoe to drop. But a pick 339, you drop him. Like, he doesn't yeah. crush you at all. So it, it's just it was just intriguing seeing that kind of player profile. Like, there's a ton of outfielders I've looked at. If you're not worried about OBP, if you want just an average league, a ton of outfielders have a very similar profile, about 150 to 200 picks ahead of him. Yeah. So just keep that in mind when you're when you're doing your drafts. You mentioned Joey Votto, so I wanted to at least throw that shout out there real quick. It was kind and of a you mentioned that he made changes to his yeah. swing to try to hit the ball harder, and you can see that his max exit velo was actually three miles per hour harder last year than in any previous season that they've collected Statcast data on. And you can see it the barrel increase and all of that stuff. So there's seriously a change. I don't know if the average is going to be there like it has in the past. But like you mentioned in OBP leagues, I drafted him in Tau, uh, drafted yeah. hold. He's in my util. I have him. I have Josh Bell. I have um, 
Anthony Rizzo are my three first basemen that are in my starting lineup because that's like nice. just pretty much what my team is is just like first baseman profiles essentially. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think um, and he's gonna play. I think mm-hmm. um, so. I, I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about. I'm, I am bummed out. I missed out on him on TGPI. I think that would have been a real nice score for me um, that late in a draft. But kudos to uh, whoever snagged him uh, in front of me by a few few picks. Yeah, I'm going to keep my eye on him for sure. Much much more intriguing than I once thought. Uh, Joe G at Joe G414. He asked, 12 team, 6 by 6 roto, choose or coin flip. And he mentioned it's runs, home runs, RBIs, average, OPS, stolen base. So those mm-hmm. are six. Basically, OPS thrown into the mix. So essentially uh, counting home runs twice. Basically, that's why I kind of thought it, I thought it was I thought it was an interesting addition uh, i think a uh, lot of people do that for six by six but i always find it interesting yeah because it's like one component of ops is obviously slugging and yeah, you know so it's kind of counting. another power metric that you're counting yeah um so which one of these two josh bell or paul goldschmidt um in an ops league uh goldschmidt um yeah. for me i mean o- uh, goldschmidt is money in an obp league even more so than batting average because with batting average you're not worried he's going to be a a sink in batting average, but he, he may not be the elite guy that he used to be. Whereas an OBP, I mean, his walk rate is like 14% or something like that. So he's phenomenal. I love Bell too. I think he, he's a great person in that spot. I just think that Goldie is much more consistent. Uh, if I, if you were to go in and say, who's going to, who, if you had to bet money on who's going to have a better line at the end of the season, you got to go Goldie. Now I think Bell may at this point have a higher ceiling which I think we saw a little bit of in 2019 in the first half of 2019. I don't know if Goldie still has that ceiling, but I think you would go with Goldie in that particular instance. Yep. Totally agree. Carlos Correa or Marcus Simeon. It's Simeon for me. Yeah. Pretty easy. I mean, are we still talking about Carlos Correa? Isn't he replacement level at this point? <laughs> Don't tell Vlad Settler. Uh, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. Dad, Vlad, Vlad goes after JTR. I'll go, I'll go after Correa. Um, <laughs> although I, I will point out that Vlad and I agree on a lot of things. We always joke around about like how we disagree at the early on in drafts, but we're always kind of after similar players at the back end. And, and generally we finish pretty close to each other in the standings. So, um, and his last one, Pete, Al- I'm thinking it's Pete Alonzo, Pete Alonzo or Eloy Jimenez. I'll take Eloy. What about you? Oh, Eloy for sure. Just uh, assuming it's a batting average. Oh, this is the six by six OPS. Yeah. It's closer than I think. Who is it, Eloy or Eloy or Alonzo? Alonzo, yeah. yeah. I would have to run that. I'd have to figure that out. I would go to the go to the auction calculator, put in your league settings, and just see who. For a lot of keeper questions and stuff like that, I would highly recommend that people do that. Like obviously, and you can account for inflation in that and stuff. But even if you don't account for inflation, do that. Check out what the values are in a vacuum in, with your league settings. Who is worth more? What is the dollar value? Because that can give you a sense of like, is this keeper worth it at its cost? If you're in an auction and you're paying like a certain price for it, like use that tool. I think that's phenomenal. I'd actually have to look at that because I think, I mean, Eloy is really God awful uh, OBP wise. I mean, he takes a huge drop. He's barely top 100, I think, in OBP leagues um, when you when you enter it, because he literally he strikes out like three or four percent of the time. So his OBP is actually active. Three, 332 OBP last year, 315 the year before. Projected yeah, but for what do you, what do you hit last year? Like 296? 296, 287 the year before. Let me, let me see what my, um, what my Google 
what my special super duper handy Google sheet is telling me here. Eloy, uh, okay, I, I totally lied. He's the fi- I have him as the 56th best player. Um, and I have, I know that what's his name is ahead of him. Alonzo, I have as the 29th best player. Now that's only an OBP. That's five by five OBP. Um, so you are obviously have average as something. So Eloy is going to help you a lot. So I still think Eloy probably carries the day, but I think Alonzo, especially in OBP leagues, don't sleep on him because I think he's a, he's a phenomenal guy. If you aren't targeting speed early on. Give me one more. I'm just clicking on this real quick. Um, all right, let's see what, uh, Pete Alonzo auction calculator with OPS with OPS. I just clicked on OPS. If I didn't do it all with ATC projections, Pete Alonzo's $19. And if you run, um, Eloy Jimenez in this format, he's 2460. Okay. So there you go. You have your answer. Bye-bye. Bubba coming so, through there for you. So we'll see if that works. It, uh, it'll be interesting to see that. So that's the closest one of the three. Let's put it that way. That's yeah. interesting. Um, the next question we have is also from Joe G. Nick Solak or Gavin Lux? For me, it's Solak. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because of playing time, I think the batting average speed combination from Solak, I think the projections – uh, underrate his speed. I mean, if you look what he's done so far in his major league career, he's pretty quick. He's on a Rangers team. I think that's going to run a lot. I mean, they have Kiner Falefa, they have Solak, they have uh, Tavares. If he makes the team, he's still in the lineup. Um, so they, so they have a lot of speed. I think they're going to run. And I also think Solak. I mean, the power is not going to be great, but if he, if he, I, I definitely think he could go fifteen twenty, and then he also has the the really good contact skills where he could hit, you know, he could hit you 280 to 300, you know, in, in the right situation. So I I actually, you know, I've kind of gone on a little bit of a roller coaster with Solak where it's like um, early, early, uh, earlier in the season, I kind of liked him and then I was a little bit more down on him and now I'm kind of into him again, just because I do think he's, he's priced uh, well in drafts. The draft cost is, is I think pretty nice for the skill set that he provides. And he's one of the last guys that can get, get you that skill set. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. The biggest thing, like you mentioned at the beginning, Gavin Lux playing time is a concern. Now, lately, rumors have come out that he might play a little more, especially even against lefties. And so if you get Gavin Lux playing almost every day, no. more interesting. Still, he's going to hit towards the bottom of the order. So keep that in mind. But uh, right now with the ATC projections, the auction calculator, uh, Lux is $2.60, Solak three forty. So True. Like Take that 80 cents. Yeah. All big, those big. Solak, uh, is he good at OBP? I can't remember. Well, we can find out for you. We can find out. I mean, because Lux, I think, is it pretty good. It was really good. He has really good play to wonderful play thing called the internet. Oh, uh, I know. I should. No, I got it right here. Uh, Gavin Lux, OBP last year was 246, year before 305. He was decent in the minors. Projections have O swing is really low, though, right? Yeah. For both uh, of them. Yes, they're both very low O-swing. Nick Solak's OBP, he was 326 last year, 393 the year before. So he's a better OBP guy. That's probably the difference between the two with the calculator for the OPS, of course. Um, Little Book of Calm asks, love the podcast. Working on making my own personal ranks for the first time this year. What advice do you have for the most useful way to format your ranks for use on drafting? 
Mm. Um, well, I make my ranks, and I just make them and make them and make them. And when it comes to draft day, I kind of just know the player pool and what I want to do for the draft. And that's I, I play with them so much, I really don't have an actual formula to how I use them on draft day. It's like I know who I like here. It's it's just in my I look at them every day, multiple times a day. So it's just kind of where I am there. I guess if you have them, kind of make make a tiered type system of where you'd kind of have your limits like we've talked about before. But uh, what about you? Yeah. um, I don't do rankings really. I think the challenge with rankings is that they're static, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You create these rankings and they're there, but the moment you take your first player, you know, you need those rankings to be dynamic because the, their their value overall is fine. And I guess this is one of my critiques overall of kind of like quote unquote value drafting or only thinking about that, like going just by your valuations even is that um, yes, those should be accounted for within, you know, uh, within your, the process that you develop or the rankings or the valuations that you develop, they should take into consideration all those things. But at the same time, and again, depending on league context, and oftentimes I'm thinking through the lens of kind of like an overall competition in the NFBC, but like they really need to be dynamic because, you know, yeah, the moment you take a player, the moment you start taking players, the value of the players later on in the draft change, you know, for you, their value to you and your team change because you need more speed or you need less speed or you need this profile or you need that profile. And that's the thing about a team is it's it's a dynamic thing. Like we think about it as these static 14 players that we put into it. And I've never been able to articulate this well, so I'm probably going to do a bad job of it anyways. But we think about it as this static thing, but it's not. It's dynamic. Like the dis- different decisions that you make and, you know, whether it's injuries or matchups that you play and like the way that you move it around and the flexibility that it has, all those things are valuable. So even not even from the from the standpoint of the stats that the player gives you, but like when you draft an early speed guy, you know, let's say you draft like, a, you know, um, who's a guy that you could push up that's like a batting average speed guy, like whoever Whit it Merrifield. is, Whit Merrifield. Let's say you're like Whit Merrifield's going pick 42 and you're like, screw it. I'm going to take Whit Merrifield at 32. And you're like, my valuations say he's not worth that. They say that he's worth you know, he's the 43rd best player or my rankings say that. Well, yeah, that may be the case, but also let's take into consideration that the fact that you make that pick changes who's available to you later on in your draft changes, who's available for you to, to attack value later on, or to just have the flexibility to take the guy you want, right. And not feel like you're being forced into taking a certain type of player, a certain player ahead of different players that maybe you wouldn't in another situation. And so I think that it, that to me, or, or just for the sake of balance, right? Like to know that you have that anchor already in batting average and stolen bases for you. Like, I think there's tremendous value in, in, in doing that, that isn't captured in a ranking system or evaluation system, but in the flexibility that your team has you know, not only because of the batting average and stolen bases, but also because Witt is, is multi-position eligibility. And maybe you're like, ah, I'll never use him in the outfield. I've, I'm using him in the outfield in some of my teams just because later on I was like, damn, there's like really good second baseman and I'm just going to snag him and I'm just going to put him in the outfield and that's fine, you know? So I just think that that's my major criticism of rankings in general is that they aren't dynamic. And that I think is how we need to be thinking about the draft as like a dy- your team as something dynamic that changes with every pick. 
you know, who fits and, and what their value is, I think changes based on, you know, where you're kind of drafting them. So that's kind of my general philosophy and why I don't go by rankings. I do think that they're helpful to identify maybe differences between where the market values somebody and where you value them to be able to attack that most certainly. But again, not as the be all end all of when you should take a player in a draft. Yeah, no, they're just kind of points. To, that's why I, I, we say it, I emphasize a lot, just know the player pool because you might have X amount of guys still ranked higher than someone, but this other position's dropping quick or this this stat category is dropping quick. So if you go off your rankings, you're going to get screwed. So got to be able to adjust. Um, our buddy David Mendelson, who we'll be talking to uh, two nights from now, I believe. Thursday night. Yep, Thursday night. Oh, Thursday man. Night. Battle Roy. Yeah. It's the first time we're tag teaming that show, and I'm undefeated. So I'm planning on leaving. Baba is, are you 2 0 or 3 0? 2 0. Plan on being 3 0. You're already, you're already forecasting it. It's going to be 3 0. Baba's 2 0. I'm 1 and 1. Mm-hmm. And we're going to face off in the in yeah. the game that they do. It's yeah. going to be it's heated. On. I it's mean, on. it is all. Yeah, and, you're, and you're super good at trivia. I've seen you in the <laughs> trivia room before. And I would I would put the odds. I don't I don't know betting odds at all, but I would put you as a heavy, heavy favorite in this. I just want to it, say it, not to put too many expectations on your shoulders or anything like that. It, it depends on what the category is. I, I yeah. talked to Art and some other guys. I said if you get, if you get too statistical, Toby's got the upper hand. If you keep it kind of ah, blank and you. history, hey, I didn't tell them what they're doing. I said if you do, this is how the like if we keep it like blank and just old school history, I probably have the upper hand. So it depends on how you want to. You guys hear this? <laughs> Bubba is lobbying the people who are making the game on hey. his behalf. I mean, this isn't the Hunger Games, all right? This isn't the Hunger Games where we're like, there's all this politics and. You know, things going on in the background. I'm just here to play a game. I'm just yeah. here. I'm a simple person. I like my s'mores. I like playing games for fun. Bubba, you're just taking it to a whole different level. I can't. <laughs> I don't know. There's a reason why we don't play board games that often in my house anymore. I'm too competitive. <laughs> um, but David yeah. Mendelson, he asks, if someone were to play intro music for introducing friends on their podcast, what would be their song choices? Those friends both being hosts of this fine show. So I think he's asking about potential intro songs. It's like, let's just say this way. If you were coming up to bat in the major leagues, what would your intro song be? Oh, I don't know. That's a really good, that's a really good question. Oh, you want to know what it would be? Know what it would be? It would be Mastermind by Deltron 3030. I don't know if you, do you know that song at all? If I heard it, maybe the name does not ring a bell now. I'll bring it up on my phone and I'll play it into this in the speakers here. What would what would yours be? It would like my, my intro to Bench with Bubba is my favorite Metallica song. So mm. that could be one. Um, it's either that or I'd have to get some old eighties hip hop just to bump the place up. But um I, I think I would probably go with Sanitarium by Metallica. I, some Metallica song it depends, but I just love what they can do. So yeah. it gets it gets the juices flowing. That like ACDC, those type of songs, but Metallica would probably be one of mine. But okay, ready? Tough. Here, here's here here would be mine. Let me see if it plays. It might um oh shoot, my kids listening to lullabies on our on our Spotify channel, so I can't play it. So uh, no problem. I won't I won't play it. I wonder if I could get it up here. But the other song that comes to mind actually is Teenage Wasteland. That's Just because I love I love the intro. I love the intro. I remember actually right. there was an A's player that had it um on his um uh as his walk-up song, and I heard it and I was like, oh my god, I want that. Let me see it. Let That's me see, good. let me see if you Teenage. can hear this. Teenage Wasteland, that's good. Oh, could you hear that? 
No, no, you couldn't, you couldn't hear it because no, it, it's no. going into my earphones and it's playing a commercial yeah. anyways. Anyways, everybody look up Deltron 3030. Maybe I'll add it to the, to this, you know, uh, through anchor cause they let us use Spotify songs. So we'll see what, we'll see what we can come together. But, oh, but I thought one that would be kind of funny for us is why can't we be friends? You know, uh, <laughs> during, during the competition, that'd be good be for the competition. That'd be good. Be reds. Yeah, that would yep. be that'd be a little funny. So there you go. That'd be real good. Um, Aaron R. He asks, "What have been your biggest takeaways from early spring training as it relates to player valuation?" For him, Andrew Vaughn has gotten a lot more interesting with his hot start on the chance he sticks in the majors out of spring training. So any specific player or just thing in general that has stood out to you so far? Um, not really. I'm really trying to take everything that happens in spring training with a grain of salt. Um, what I do look at religiously are velocity readings. And so I definitely pay attention to those. I do have some questions about the quality of the readings that we're getting, like via StatCast. Mm-hmm. I just, there's some of them where I'm just like, like, like the Tigers, a lot of their pitchers seem to be, you know, have high, like like Casey Mize's fastball is like two and a half miles per hour faster than it was before. And so I'm just like, ah, I don't know. And then uh, I think Jose Cisnero in the same game had a really high fastball. So I'm just not sure how much to put into those, obviously, honestly. I want to see it happen consistently like – like means they were like, oh, he's 93, 95. And then he pitched at a stack cast stadium and he was 92, one, you know? And so it's just stuff like that where you're like, uh, I just, I'm not sure how much to take into it. So again, we're still early in spring training. You know, a lot of it, you know, a lot of the pitchers are not the best pitchers. A lot of the lineups are not the best lineups. I just really don't pay that much attention to it. You know, I think as we get later in spring training, the lineups become a little bit more useful to kind of look at. And I think if we can kind of track the velocity readings and see them being consistent over a period of time, um, I think that's fine. I mean, honestly, the most excited I've gotten is um, Jeff Hoffman. And somebody yeah. thought I wasn't like really tweeting about Jeff Hoffman. They're like, oh, I knew you really were. Jeff. I knew you I'm like, were. Yeah, I'm really like, tweeting yeah. about Jeff Hoffman. I'm talking about Jeff Hoffman all the time. Come on, yeah. people. And then, um, and then Jake Halusker tweets me back and is like, guess what, buddy? I got a lot more higher like percentage shares than you do of Jeff Hoffman. And I thought I was the Jeff Hoffman truther. Thought I was the only one out there, and Jake Kaluskers just like drops it on me. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was like 96-1 on average. I think he had you know six swinging strikes and thirty some odd pitches, uh, four strikeouts in three uh, innings with one hit given up or something like that. You know, so um, that those are the types of things I get excited about more so than like you know, the guys that are maybe supposed to be good. So even with a guy like Andrew Vaughn, again, I don't know who he was hitting off of when he was doing really well, but I think they want to see consistency. So if he can continue that throughout spring training, maybe it's something. Um, but still, like if he doesn't sign a contract, then he's probably going to be in the minors, at least for, you know, whatever the first month of the season or, or whatever it is these days, the first three weeks. Yeah, no, the velocity things are nice. I am curious how they're not consistent and how do we want to stat cast in every stadium? Because, you know, we get certain games where we get all the numbers, or even the exit velocities and stuff, and it's great. And then you see this other game where this dude did an absolute moonshot, and you have no idea what took place. It was just like, mm-hmm. oh, that's great. That's fun. Was it just Arizona's 100 degrees, or was it because they actually threw a hard? And the wind, too. I mean, people yeah. were talking about the wind today and just, like, everything going for a home run. Like, Yelich hit a, hit a ball that was like a pop-up, and it just yeah. kept going. 
Yeah, it's crazy. But um, so that's big. I do watch, uh, check out Mike Curlin's uh, lineup takeaways mm-hmm. just for the consistency and maybe where guys are penciled in at positions and stuff. It's still early, like you said, but I think these guys are trying to get it figured out. Like, like Brendan Rogers, for instance, he's played pretty much every day at second base. It's like, that's interesting to me. Like that can still change. That's interesting because he's not, it's not Gary Hampson. Gary Hampson's playing center field almost every day, not Sam Hilliard. So it, it's just like little things like that are interesting. Uh, we had a, a chat on uh, Twitter today. Uh, Guriel, he's been hitting into the fourth, fifth spot for the Jays almost every day. But today he was also playing first base. And then a report came out that they want to play him more at first base this season. So that changes eligibility. So that's interesting to me. But uh, the other thing I really want to see, though, is there's a few players. There's a lot of players that are having good starts. But how real is Joey Gallo, who has five home runs already? Like, I understand that's what he does. But is this like – is it, are we getting more 2019 Joey Gallo? Or what, what are we getting here? So that's interesting. And one I'm buying back into because we talked about COVID guys. Austin Meadows looks good again. He looks really yeah. good again. Like he's striking out only a couple of times. He's hitting for average. He's walking. He's hitting with power. That's one that means a lot to me. Like seeing that kind of stuff. That's we talked about like a month ago or so. Like, hey, we need to see certain guys. He looks good again. And he's I, all of a, I drafted him in a league. I'm moving him up things where I, I didn't have him before. That's a big one for me. Stuff like that. So, yeah, especially if he's hitting leadoff too. I mean, yeah, yes. you know the RBI like it's lefties too. Game. He's hitting against lefties also. Like it's a big one. Yeah, I mean that that's a really good example where it's more of a health. It's more kind of yeah. like, okay, show me that you look good yeah. again because we knew something was off last year. I haven't paid that much attention to Moncada. I wonder if I know he stole a base, which I think is really nice early on. I mean, actually, I think Jeff Zimmerman's done some research that actually shows that guys who steal bases in spring training. It's either guys who steal bases in spring training or teams that steal bases in spring training. It's actually a not a great indicator, but I think a decent indicator of what they'll do during that that season. Yeah, um, he's he's so. mentioned he feels a lot better. And like another takeaway, if you wish, for these early lineups, they've had him and Lubob at the top and Adam Eaton at yeah. the bottom in like every game. So that's Man. interesting. Lubob in the two hole. That's a lot of plate appearances with the god awful average he's gonna Yeah, play. that's why no, I, I'm just I, I'm just no, I get it. I don't I don't think he should be hitting up there either, but as long as Moncada's up there, we can live with that. So that, that was my concern. Keep Moncada up there. And well, and the challenge with Lou Bob too is, I mean, you know, he had that injury that yeah. a lot of people point to and they're like, ah, so I haven't been able to, to go after him, but God, if he's hitting high in that lineup, I mean, Ooh, it could yeah. be really, really good, you know. Yeah. So it's, it it's changing really, my it's changing my no, thoughts on things. No. More, more to monitor. More to monitor. No, no. Um, John Glesser asks us: Can long term freeze? So it's okay. So what he's doing, he can long term freeze these players that you can keep them for three years at escalating cost of five, ten, and fifteen dollars. So each year they go up five bucks. Uh, three players in my league off this bunch. Which then you don't know the conditions of the league, Toby. Right. Um, which three would you choose? The catcher, Will Smith, Tommy Edmond, Lux, Biggio, Guriel, Lourdes, Otani the hitter, Otani the pitcher, Gilito, or Meadows. So you get to keep three of that long list. I'll start with Gilito. Yeah, <laughs> that stood out like a sore thumb. Give me Gilito. Um, Meadows, if you I mean, it all depends, though. What's it their is, prices? I mean, What's Meadows, I think, is consistently really good. Yeah, it's like if it's OBP or batting average has a huge impact. I mean, Biggio and OBP is a totally different story than well, how much these guys, how much these guys cost right now. Lourdes in a batting average versus Lourdes in an OBP is a totally different thing. 
So I think like, I mean, assuming it's a batting average league, because that's what people predominantly do, I'd probably say Giolito, Meadows, who are the other guys? And Guriel? Um, Will Smith, Edmund, Lux, Biggio, Guriel, Otani. Yeah, I'd, Otani hitter, Otani pitcher, interesting. But, man, there's just so many question marks with him. Yeah, and he's in a daily for Otani. Yeah. Um, I would go. I would go with Meadows, Guriel, and Giolito. Just in a, yep. assuming it's a batting average league. I'm with um, you. And I, like I said, another big factor is how much do they cost right now, so we know what the increase in rates are. How much money does your league have? Like, <laughs> I mean, these are the things. Is, is that yeah. like who's going to be in? Who's supposed to be in the pool? Is it a super deep keeper league where, or dynasty league where there's not going to be very many good guys in the pool? Or are there a lot of good good players? Right? Because that a lot depends. Like, because some, sometimes what you can actually do is. You can keep the guy, you know, you, you can keep a guy and then just pick, pick draft the other guy in the draft, you know, like exactly. things like that. Like, or, you, like you have an early pick. Yeah. Go ahead and go get him for a lot totally. cheaper that, without the penalty. So, yeah, yep, exactly. So like keep the dollar um, Gavin Lux maybe and then get Giolito without the $5 penalty or something. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. So there's a lot of factors in this. And again, like, you know, when you provide these, the keeper, um, ne- never to criticize because Feel free to ask us any question anytime, but it's always really, really helpful to provide as much, much context as, as, as possible because really all of these keeper and dynasty league decisions cannot, they aren't vacuums. And there's so much context that impacts player value and strategy and things like that, that it's just really hard to answer them, even if we are given a full context because there's so many league dynamics that you just can't explain um, in written word. All right, I think you know this individual, one Scott Jinstead. Um, he oh, asks, hard one. "Yeah, yes. If you had to pick one for each, who rises the most and who falls the most from their recent ADP in the main event drafts? Non-injured players. I'll start it off for you. We'll start with first who rises, and then we'll do fall second. So who okay. rises the most? We kind of spitballed some earlier that really intrigued me. But I guess if I'm going to go, who's the farthest down with the most rise potential? Because Crone is going to keep rising." We talked about that. Um, I think, and I mentioned him a second ago with the spring training. If Brendan Rodgers is in at second base, he's going to climb up draft boards. Uh, like really, really climb up draft boards. If you look at where he's at right now, uh, Brendan Rodgers, just over the last two weeks, he's picked 346, as high as 290. I see him, if he's starting at second base, he's going to drop potentially 100 to 150 spots in my mind. Like he's Nick Madrigal's 205. He's going to go ahead and Nick Madrigal to me. So, and then he started getting into the top 15 or so second basemans. That gets interesting if Brendan Rodgers plays every day. He's homered a couple times already. Off the uh, at quick glance, quick thoughts, Brendan Rodgers is the one that stands out to me with the most potential climb to gain uh, this off or draft season. What about you? Yeah, that's a good one. These are really hard questions for me. I feel like I don't think about things, things like this, which is probably a, a weakness. But um, I think uh, I'm just going to go with the guy that I thought of first. And actually, there was, um, I think, uh, uh, Andrew Andrew Geller, I believe is his name, uh, the, the, the Guilds um, on Twitter, I think, responded to this question because he didn't realize it was a pod question. But I agree. I think Meadows, I mean, he's already moving up, right? He was after pick yeah. 100, I think, for a while. Now he's pick 88. I think people are seeing that he's healthy. And I think the the argument that a lot of people have been making that I think is right on is, well, if you thought Austin Meadows was a third round pick last year or in 20, in 2020, 
and you're saying that he wasn't good last year because of COVID and because of injuries. Well, what's the reason why he's not going higher in drafts this year? And I think that's going to resonate with people. And I think a lot of people loved Meadows and I think they're going to buy back into the hype. And so I think when we get down to it, I can see him pushing up into the like kind of 60, 70 range, which maybe ADP wise isn't the biggest number jump, but in terms of like percentage, you know, um, value that he's going to gain, I think Meadows is going to be a, a riser for sure. And there's also that like, for me, it's a little bit of a, of a, of a dead zone for I think hitter quality in that kind of like, 70 ish range for hitters, like maybe 75 to 95 or so. And I think he's going to fit in like in the nice front end of that. Um, probably. So, you know, at least moving up 10 picks, I think, um, here in the next little bit. Yeah. No, I like that one a lot. The other one we talked about earlier, which should keep climbing, especially if the Nats lead him off is Victor Robles. He's going to fly up that draft board too. Yeah. So. Um, fallers. I struggle with fallers all the time because I don't know why I just don't think of it. In that a negative connotation, but I guess it's good to know going into a draft. Can I You're wait a, a positive longer? person? You're a positive tried, person, but but you have a really hard time <laughs> focusing on the negative. I do. I'm a really hard guy to focus on the negative, but I think one guy I could see falling. Um, there's a few. The more I keep sliding through this stuff, but um, outside of like guys that like Alex Colomay is not the closer anymore. So that that kind of happens, but. I think Dom Smith falls. He's going to keep falling I because I, I, I he was so hyped up after the season start, uh, ended because of the way he played. But now it's like realization sitting in. Okay, potential platoon. At worst, potential late inning defensive replacement. So there's probably not bat every like every other game or something disappearing. Um, there's a lot of little moving pieces with Dom Smith that aren't as juicy as they once were. So I could see him falling quite a bit. Um, it's tough. There's a handful of others you can kind of poke and prod at, but I'll go Dom Smith as my faller. Yeah, that's it. That's a good one. And I think a well-deserved faller if I, if we're being honest. Yes. I haven't even um, thought about drafting him yet. I know, um, man, this is a tough one. I mean, you know, I do think, I do think, you know, this is kind of a general one, but I do think catchers might fall a little bit, at least the top end. I think Sal Perez and JTR. Obviously, JTR is a little bit injury related, but I think it's one thing to you have to really believe in catchers, right, to draft them that high. And and so I think it's one thing to draft them JTR. And obviously with the injury, I think it's partially injury related. So it's not really answering Scott's question, but I just think that it's going to be I think that when when the going gets tough, when the money gets larger, when we're looking at main events and things like that. I just, I just am not sure if people are going to feel comfortable grabbing him in that, in that area, you know, in that, in the third round, you know? So I think he may drop a little bit and maybe further than people think. And I think Sal Perez, I think we're already seeing that happen with Sal where he was going around pick 75, pick 80. And I think, you know, he's been available a lot later in drafts so far, um, you know, so that's one. And then one guy who just always seems like a faller, like even the last couple of years is Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo, it just seems like nobody really likes Anthony Rizzo. Like, everything's good about it. Like, everything's fine. It's not like he's super old or, you know, you're worried about anything. Like, the skills deteriorated that much. Like, there's actually reasons to like him. But he just seems like a guy who just exists. And at some point in draft, people are like, eh, Anthony Rizzo is available here. So I think I'm going to snag him. But, and I think it might just be because, you know, 
there's like this dynamic where you're like, after Goldie goes, you're like, ah, well, I might as well just wait on first baseman until much later. And then maybe you're like, your interest is peaked maybe by a Rizzo or a Josh Bell. But outside of those guys, you're just like, ah, I'll just pick Carlos Santana or Yuli Gurriel or, you know, whoever it is later on in draft. So maybe that's the reason why he falls. But I can already see it happening a little bit. I think he's like, his ADP is like 118 or 114 over the last little bit where he was in the nineties before. And, and I can see that continuing to happen. So those are some guys that kind of jump out, but again, I'm probably not that Bubba's much better at, at this piece of it than, than I am in terms of just like monitoring ADP and knowing who's, who's um, following and, and the trend. So I'd listen to him and not me. Uh, the catcher one's interesting. I think um, Will Smith also with all the Austin Barnes talk, yeah. Smith's going to keep falling. I guess yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's a serious concern too. So. Oh, I, I would not pick Will Smith for sure. I don't have any, I haven't drafted him at all. And again, I mean, the skills are out of this world. Yep. I mean, they're fa- absolutely fantastic, but we're talking about probably, you know, maybe like a 150 to 200 plate appearance difference, mm-hmm. an entire 2020 season difference between him and, you know, JTR, if he's healthy and Sal Perez, who are the two guys that are going ahead of them. And even like Yasmani Grandal too, right? Um, Because the White Sox now, without EE there, they can put him at DH, you know, Um, or put him at first base and Abreu at, at, you know, they can mix and move around a little bit. So, yep, will be quite interesting. Uh, Steven Yeomans asks, how much would you be willing to pay in a 15-team mixed roto auction for Otani, $206 budget, daily lineups, 14 hitters, 9 pitchers, you get to use him as a hitter and a pitcher, basically over $40, since you can play him at starting pitcher, say Monday and DH Tuesday to Sunday, so it's daily leagues. Oh man, he counts as both. How much would you pay for him? Because that's an interesting question. But um, again, I'm concerned about the pitching part. I just really am. I wouldn't sell out for it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even know where to start in terms of creating evaluation for that. And the calculator um, won't help with this because they don't. They have them separate. I know. So I can't help you what there. do you say? Fifteen team league, though. Yeah, fifteen team, two hundred sixty dollar budget. Like basically, he says over forty bucks. You'd have to think about it. He's basically two players in one. Yeah. Yeah, I think he he probably got to be in the. I, I don't really do auctions league. either. But like, so if you like, if you look, well, if you look at like, say, AL Labor, I think like um, Bieber and Cole, I think were for like thirty eight, thirty nine, or something like that. So say forty bucks there. That was AL only. So, well, I can do the auction calculator for all. Yeah, pitchers, I'm looking. All I'm looking general. at it here. I'm looking at it here. I, I wish I could. Um, well, let me just see. Like Degrom's forty bucks. Degrom's forty eighty, and just a standard five by five roto. With 260 budget. So, yeah. over 40, you got to go 50 I mean, or 60 almost. <laughs> I, I, I really don't know. I, I don't want to give you one because I, I, I don't, um, I don't feel comfortable enough, like with knowing what the value auction value for the him would be. But just so what I would do is essentially so he's currently projected by ATC for 444 plate appearances with a 261 batting average. 19 home runs, 13 stolen bases, 60 runs, 62 RBI. So essentially you're going to be able to, in a daily league, probably, you know, get up to 650 plate appearances from that particular spot in your lineup. So take like um, 200 plate appearances of maybe even more than 650, honestly, like in a daily league, if there's no like limits on how many times you can play a certain position, 
like you add like 200 plate appearances of, you know, replacement level to him. So you're talking about a guy, let's just say for the sake of it, who's hitting like, you know, 260 with 25 home runs, 85 runs, 85 RBI, and 15 stolen bases. And then on top of that, you potentially get, you know, an ace starting, like a really good starting pitcher. So I don't know. It's so hard to calculate that, but hopefully this analysis, um, you know, and, and, you know, um, has been helpful. <laughs> well, I'd say, I'd say this much. Um, he asked if it was over $40, I'd say yes, for sure. It's over $40. Yeah. If DeGrom's 40, 80, I'd say yes. I'm just trying to look through here because he's, on on these uh, the auction calculator, he did not come up in pitching. I know um, it's it's really difficult actually um, in the auction calculator because he's also a DH. But uh, when I look up the projections, I can't just look up um, ATC only, so I have to scroll through a bunch of. Different yeah, that's what I'm trying to do, and it's it's being a bit of a hassle here. But I'm just trying to like spitball in my head if I could combine. The two price tags, but it's uh, it's being trickier. So yeah, I'm not gonna waste their time any longer. But I'd say yes, over forty dollars for sure. It's probably if you're in a competitive league, I wouldn't be shocked if it creeps into the sixties. To be yeah. honest, so just be aware if you want them, it's gonna get pricey. Uh, James at James underscore AG one asks player outside the top fifty with the best chance to return first round value next season. Outside the top fifty to return. First round, value. top fifteen value. That's well, you're going to need a guy with stolen bases. I would say I figured you pick like a guy Jr. with power and a guy who could Ooh, he's get right you there at 54. stolen bases as well. Who's that, Vlad Junior? No, who, oh, Randy. 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 If, he, if he is, what do they say? He is Randy could definitely be it. Yeah. Um, you know, a Javi Baez. Like, I think Javi or, Gla- or, right. or Glaber Torres is interesting too. If he actually shows back up, he yeah. can pop back. The hard thing with him is the speed. Yep. But if um, he even gives you 10 steals, that could be interesting. Yeah. What uh, if it's Zach Plesak just to make everybody squirm? No, no, <laughs> yeah, I mean, those would be kind of the guys that I would highlight probably. Uh, the only other one I, I agree with those. Like I think Rose Rain has got a, a great chance at it. Javi, um, a guy that everyone should know by now. I'm pretty high on if he does steal bags. I think Yohan Moncada deserves discussion up there. Mm. Like I, I, he's a mini Joe Ram to me if he starts stealing bags. Like I think he's he's not as good as Joe Ram. I get that, but when it comes to the third base position, he's really darn good. So I find that to be interesting. Our buddy Yance, he asks, who were some of your current favorite last round of a DC target? Uh, I haven't done a DC in a little while, but I can think of some. Who uh, who are you targeting super late? Um, super late, uh, Jeff Hoffman. We talked hey, about yeah. him a little bit. Um, I've been targeting him late. Generally, at that spot, I'm looking at some, like, you know, high-skilled reliever closer types. Let me just um, – what I can do is actually – like uh, guys like Phil Maton on uh, Cleveland, I think is really good. I have a bunch of shares of him. I'm just going to go to my share, my player, my player shares page because that will help me. Um, so uh, late round guys um, that I've been going after. So Phil Maton, 
is one for sure. Pierce Johnson of the Padres, although their bullpen has really changed dramatically since I drafted uh, him a lot. I drafted Eric Lauer a bunch. He's had an awful start to his spring, like an awful, awful start to his spring. Um, so we'll we see what ha- ends up happening there. Um, yeah, I mentioned Hoffman, uh, Jason Vossler. He's a third baseman for the Giants, who they picked up, I think, mm-hmm. in either Rule 5 or they traded for him because yep. he was he had to be traded or something like that. I can't remember. but And he's been having a really nice spring, I believe. Yep. Um, so I have a bunch of him in terms of like a, a hitter that's going late. So those are some of the guys. Um, Bossler, yeah. Yeah. Those are some of the guys that are coming to mind. Kind of those like reliever types. I did draft a bunch of Tim Lopez or, or Lopes, who used to be on the Mariners, now on the Brewers, but that was before they signed Derek Fisher and uh, JB, uh, JBJ, um, Jackie Bradley Jr. Jose Cisnero is a late round guy. Dwayne Underwood Jr. is actually really interesting. Um, he, um, he just got traded to the Pirates from the Cubs. He's got really lights out stuff from a skills perspective. And then one guy too is David Bednar. He's pitching for the Pirates as well. Rule five pickup. Um, he threw 97 in his first outing. Um, and the Pirates really don't have anybody that can, you know, that that's that's signed up to be the closer. And so if somebody can really distance themselves in the, in the uh, during spring training, I mean, it could be him. And he's thrown two clean innings so far. I think he's tried he struck out like three or four in those two innings. Um, so those are some guys that are jumping out at me. Uh, just going through draft champions ADP right now. Uh, going super late, that might get an actual shot sometime this season, maybe earlier than later by chatter. Nolan Gorman of St. Louis could be an interesting snag. If an injury takes place, he'll be up real quick in that one. But um, they're trying him at like, second base as well because there's an Arenado there at third base now. So that kind of takes that one away. So keep an eye on him. That what, about, be... what about your boy, Elio? Elio um, Ramos, man, four yeah. homers already. I don't think he starts the year with the team. I I honestly don't I, – I, I wasn't going to think he'd be up at all this year, but he's going to force their hand, which is fun to see. So I think Eric Loggenhagen yeah. might have said in a chat that he thought Ramos was going to come up later on this year. They might but, give him a cup of coffee at the end because basically most, most places have his impact starting next year. So he might get a little bit towards the end here, which would be an awesome month or two months because he's that good. But they're going to play the game. They're in no hurry to rush him up at all, and they can use all kinds of excuses with him. So um, that's definitely one to keep an eye on. But, yeah, like Cesar Valdez, Baltimore, I think he's a nice late round. It's a lot of relievers, kind of like Toby was saying. Cisnero, who you mentioned. Um, Jolly Rodriguez is going to move up a lot now, so that kind of stinks. But um, a lot of those late, late reliever types are guys I would definitely be uh, peeking at. All right, last question we have here from Cousin Timmy. Have you ever considered drafting players from only select teams, either the Braves, Dodgers, Yankees, et cetera? No, I don't really care what team they play on. If they're good, they're on my fantasy team. Yeah, I generally think it's like it's like kind of like stacking, you know? Yeah. Um, it's become only, more popular. But yeah. yeah, the only team that I've found myself not intentionally, I don't, I don't intentionally do it, but where I find myself potentially doing that is like the White Sox. You oh, know, yeah. you draft, you know, Giolito in the first round, uh, or second round in the third round, you get like Tim Anderson 
you know, or you get Louis Robert um, or Robert. Um, and then you get like Jose Abreu. I think I have one team where I started like Giolito, Anderson, and then Abreu's also on it. And then I have Lance Lynn, I think too, or something. So there's like four of them, but you never do it intentionally. I don't think there's any value to be gained by it because the reason why you stack in DFS is, you know, is to maximize like your correlation and um, you can't really do that over the course of season long really effectively in the same way you can maybe in like a football, even in a season long might a little bit be able to do that. So yeah, I've heard people mention the Rockies. I know in best ball, people talk like John Allen, some guys talk about it, especially when it comes to like pitching stack the back end of a rotation and try to get the best you can out of that. I get it. But for a redraft, like we're talking about, I don't do it intentionally either. I found myself with like either a lot of White Sox, a lot of Jays, and a lot of Phillies. Those seem to be places I'm flocking to. And if you think about it, they've got really good offenses. So mm-hmm. it makes it makes sense, but it's never intentional. Like I usually after I make the pick, I look at my roster, start laughing more than anything. So I'm like <laughs> another like like you bought hats, I'm like, I gotta buy a Phillies hat because I have so much Hoskins, McCutcheon, Nola, like I have JTR too. It's just it's it's adding up quickly. So we'll have to see how all that pans out, but uh, that'll we, do it first. We, we do get one other question um, okay. via, via the thing. Richard Sands um, asks, I might've asked you this before, but when you come to a dead spot in a draft where nothing is what you want without reaching down several rounds for a player who will doubtless be there in the next round, what is your move draft best possible player or question mark? Um, I, I go get the guy I want. I don't worry about Unless it's yeah. like unless it's like seven rounds or something, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go get my guy. Yeah, I agree. This is a it's a really good question though because I find myself in this spot even early on in drafts. I mean, where I'm just like, yeah, I don't love my options that I'm here. It's not because I don't think any of the players are necessarily good, but it's because that it's not necessarily what I need at that point in time or what I know is going to benefit me later on in the draft. So. I do think I lean uh, kind of like best player generally or player that fits my team need most. And I'm fine hopping up around. I mean, I think the thing is later on in drafts, if this happens, something that I like to talk about is just like, you know, the difference as you get later on in drafts, right. Between a guy who's going in round 20 and a guy who's going in round 25 is like, I don't, I don't know what it is. I should look it up, but it's like a couple dollars, right. It's like, three home runs or four home runs or two stolen bases, right? It's a very narrow difference. And so, you know, in those cases, just get the guys that you're going to feel really good about. And oftentimes what I'll think about is, you know, in my head, I'm like, okay, my ideal picks in this scenario are this round, this person, this round, this person, this round, this person, this round, this person, because I really like the way that that stacks up in terms of building my roster. Well, if the player that I want in that first round goes, then what I might do is say, okay, I'm going to bump this guy up. So I get that that roster construction that I wanted from those previous picks. And then I can take somebody at the back end of that who maybe does something similar to what the guy that I missed out on that first round is. Or you say, okay, well, I'm, you know, maybe this is the most similar guy that's here, or this is the guy that I like the most. I'm going to keep this and I'll take that risk that maybe I lose out on these guys who are closer in ADP later on. So I think there's different ways to tackle it, but I just think, you know, don't worry too much about ADP. It's the market that other people see. If you have a guy that you like, you know, jump them. Not if it's unnecessary, but, you know, feel free to get the guy that you like the most or the best player on your board at that point in time. Yep, I 100% agree. Don't uh, – it goes almost back to our rankings question. Don't just, like, succumb to the rankings. If it, it, um, 
if it's your guy and it's what fits your team best, go get him. So don't don't worry about that. Like I just literally while you're talking, I was looking at a draft I have, I'm in right now, and it's ADP 83 right now, and I almost took someone at ADP 139 because I wanted him right now. So that's just ways you can go. Um, Mama said ADP is one of the many tools of the devil. That's right, Jomo Baseball. Jomo Baseball, um, Jordan Montgomery Baseball. Yep, Jomo Baseball. All right, well, that'll wrap us up this week, Toby. Any final thoughts as we're heavy in the draft season right now? Yeah, we're getting we're getting heavy. We're getting heavy. We're going heavy. Um, no, I think it's uh, it's fun to get some real drafts here with Fab. I mean, the, the approach is so different, I think, than the DCs that I've been doing and you've been doing for a long time are the best balls. It's just a really different game, and um, I'm really looking forward to it because these are the drafts that I enjoy. I enjoy Fab Leagues despite it being, like, so time – sucking throughout the entire year like this is this is fantasy baseball at its quintessential essence and so um, i'm really excited about it and um yeah yeah it's fun like i said earlier it seems like every day i'm adding another draft like i, I had them kind of planned but they're all kind of stumbling up, up top all of a sudden I'm like oh crap and I, there's like three or four more i still got a book so it's gonna be a a fun last fuck like three or four weeks here about three weeks i guess before we start the season but we got baseball, so I can't complain. It's going to be awesome. There's really nothing slowing things down unless something really catastrophic happens, but um, it's, it's going to be fun. So uh, we look forward to keep chatting it up, keep the questions coming. We'll uh, get some bold predictions coming up here and some other fun things in the coming weeks for you. But uh, we got the Barf Draft Saturday, so we'll talk about that next week as well. But until next time, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm on Twitter at BDNTrick, and this was Bubba and BatFlip episode 74. Catch you guys later. with an auto policy from American Family Insurance. No matter what dreams you're driving towards, that's because our expert agents will make you feel totally protected with the right auto coverage at the right price. You'll also save up to 23% when you bundle auto with home. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.